Hello, and welcome back to the Real Professional Podcast, the podcast where air quotes real professionals interview non-air quotes real professionals. Though I guess we're going to have to change the tagline of that because uh, I guess we're all kind of real professionals now. This is this has been quite the journey from uh, air quotes real professionals to real professionals because, as you know, you are joining us for the uh, Dread X Collection Collection, the collection of episodes where we interview all the developers from the Dread X Collection. Uh, this time we're doing Dread X Collection 2. This is all the developers from the second Dread X Collection, which recently just released. We're coming out with a, the last few of these post-release, so you can, you know, if you're a fan of the Dread X Collection, you can go back and listen to all the previous interviews. We're going to be having a couple more still coming out. So this is just a little bit of extra insight for those of you that are fans of the package, fans of indie horror, fans of the creators, to find out more about the creative creators, more about their creative process, more about just the whole, you know, process of putting it together, and also, you know, hanging out, having a good time. And uh, you know, making making some funnies here and there. You know, having having some some good old belly ache, belly aching laughs. Sorry, not belly aches. Although we do do that sometimes too. So, anyways, guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. On today's episode, we all have Daniel Mullins of Daniel Mullins Games. Uh, he doesn't like if you call him Dan Daniel Mullins Games Games Mullins in real life. So uh, I will try not to call him that every time I refer to him. Anyways. Uh, DJ, why don't you just go ahead and uh, drop that sick beat? This is the Real Professional Podcast, as I'm sure you all know because of the intro. But uh, short crew today, it's, it's we're going to have a, ourselves a nice little boys' night. Uh, just a you know a little impromptu sausage party here. Star could not join us. Uh, she is working on some really cool stuff that we're going to be announcing soon. Uh, wait, I think it's already been announced. She's like working on the the, the showcase, doing stuff for that. So um, Indie Horror Game Showcase coming up in October. Definitely, if you're an indie horror creator... Uh, submit your trailer to us. We really, really would love to get that out there. And um, if you're an indie horror fan, which you obviously are if you're listening to this, then uh, check it out. Um, more info on that coming soon. But really here today, we're here to t- today to talk to uh, Daniel Mullins. Hi, Daniel. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. Now, you are the Daniel Mullins of Daniel Mullins Games, correct? It's not different Daniel Mullins? There's only one. Mm. Yeah, I mean... Please There's only one in the studio. And Daniel Mullins, Games Mullins. Please don't call me that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, to be fair, you did name your company after you. So, I mean, there is some redundancy there. Yeah. Um, and to be clear, we're not claiming that there are no other Daniel Mullinses on the earth, just that there are no other Daniel Mullinses well, within Daniel Mullins Games. I'm claiming that, the first claim. Oh, okay. So that there are no other Daniel Mullins on earth? I'm claiming it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have nothing to back it up, but other than your strong <laughs> assertions, which, frankly, in the era, in, in 2020, all you need are strong assertions, and then you're yeah. correct, I guess. Other than the fact that when a Daniel Mullins is born, he is he gets like a, a Terminator-style vision, it all goes red, and he has to hunt them down to make sure he's the only one. Yeah. yeah. So any other Mullins is out there, if you name your kid Daniel, you're just inviting a Terminator from it's the future. A bad idea. <laughs> 
but uh, yeah, Daniel, you're, you made Solipsis for the Dreadx collection too, uh, which is the one about the dude on the moon. And uh, but I, I think a lot of people are also going to know you for your previous work on uh, the Hex and Pony Island. Mm-hmm. And of course, the trailer just dropped for your newest game, uh, Inscription, which we'll get into a bit later. But uh, you know, I kind of actually want to start by chatting today. Um, we, we've been going off the rails far too often on the previous podcast. We're going to try to keep it a little bit more uh, tight this time. And uh, I want to start off by asking you, like, what when you when you're making a game, um, do you approach it like mechanics driven, narrative driven, like? Because you have a unique style of games that you come out with. Um, mm-hmm. I'd say your games are very visually distinct, narratively narratively distinct for sure. Um, but they're also like they, they, there's a playability to them more so than your average, you know, hyper narrative walking simulator or whatever. So how do you kind of approach yeah. that process? Um, it's hard to say, and it might be um, different every time. Um, for for the game jam entries that I've done, and uh, for the Dreadx collection, which was in a lot of ways similar to a game jam, um, I really just get that theme, and I just think about the theme and end up with some sort of basic vision of a moment in the game or a or a few things that might happen, and I kind of work from there. Um, game jams and and similarly to Dreadx, I do try to get some sort of base uh, visual style pretty early. Uh, I don't like working with gray box levels or placeholder assets very much at all. Uh, for me, I, I really need to have the near final visuals to feel how the game is going to be. And, and with those in place, um, I think it really does inform the audio, of course, and uh, but even the game mechanics and the way the game moves and feels. Um, so yeah, an idea to a visual prototype, and then from there, um, kind of a haphazard, drunken walk toward the finish line, maybe. <laughs> way to sum it up. <laughs> but that's pretty uncommon, right? Like for, for most game designers that I know, it's like, okay, I have a vague idea of what it's going to look like, but here's what it's going to play like, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you coming at it from the opposite angle is kind of interesting. Yeah, and I, I probably do have some idea of, of how it's going to play, but but I really do think um, the, the visuals and the mood um, end up informing so much of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I had to bust out a really hard stretch there. I It's like one of those... Have you ever, like, not stretched in, like, days because you're so busy and then you get that, like, one moment and you're like, oh, no, it's all coming out at once. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's... it's it's. I can imagine, though, that that would actually create some, like... I don't want to say issues, but, like, have you ever had the vision of what you think it's going to play like in your head at the beginning and then you get to the visual style and you, you, you do all that stuff and then you get to the gameplay and you're like, oh, this is actually a much different game than I thought it was. Yeah, that pretty much always happens. And I, I think part of why um, this this method seems unusual um, or impractical is because most um, indie games have at least a few people working on them. And for my part, um, I usually do have someone uh, doing the audio, but that's kind of easy to outsource and not have it enter really into the creative loop um, that tightly, or at least for me. Um, And because that loop of like art, mechanics, programming, design, um, iterating on those things, because I'm doing that all myself, um, maybe that is 
is why the process works for me. I don't have to go back and forth wasting time with someone uh, if they give me some art asset I don't like and it doesn't fit into the game. It's in... I don't know exactly where I'm going with this. But... No, I get what you're saying. I actually, I, I, I really agree with you because I think that, um, and this is kind of where the idea for the Dread collection even came from, was that uh, the biggest, I, I think that one of the biggest reasons that you get delays and like cost increases in game design in general is because of miscommunication and like basically the more people that you get together to work on a single project, um, and what I mean like working on the same game, yeah. The more chances you have to like miscommunicate the expectations or like what you're like actually going for, and you have to keep reiterating on those over and over until everyone's on the same page. And like, as anyone that's like been like in a relationship knows, it's hard enough to get two people that love each other very much on the same page. It's fucking <laughs> impossible to get sixty people that couldn't give a shit about each other on the same page. Exactly. You know? And uh, I think maybe they never are exactly on the same page. People have different uh, visions for what the game will be, especially early on. Um, I guess as the game comes together, those visions will start to unify. But yeah, that does make it difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 always, I mean, yeah, as the game goes along, those visions do start to unify, but there's always differences in expectations of like balancing and mechanics. And it's just, it's very, it's it can, there's so many different ways that you can find issues with how things are turning out that you wouldn't expect when the game just starts. I mean, you might have an expectation that there's going to be a difference in the visual style, but there's going to be some guy that's like, just like prefers a different style of combat. Let's say you're making yeah. a tactics game and like, there's just like, there's just discordance there. Yep. Totally. And, uh, so when you're working on something by yourself, the benefit is, is that, you know, you're your own boss and you can't fire yourself. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it, especially with inscription, I felt, or sorry, not inscription, uh, but solipsis. Uh, I, I felt an extra level of freedom where, a lot of the assets I didn't actually hand make, but I was pulling from like NASA archives and it was kind of exciting to, to just pour through this huge resource and um, just pick and choose whatever felt, whatever I felt would fit in and then mm -hmm. massage it into the game. Well, because I think that the coolest thing that you did for Solipsis is the, 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 vis the face of the astronaut. I agree. That was what I was most proud of um, that it's a, to me, I thought it was quite a surreal uh, effect, and the one that I haven't really seen too much, uh, and to describe it for the listeners if they haven't played it, it's um, a live-action video of my face, uh, but what I did was I made it feel more dynamic and responsive by um, cutting out the eyes in a video editing software uh, and then replacing them with uh, game engine rendered eyes that respond to uh, a light that's tracking to your cursor and other light, ambient light in the scene. And then I also had the face um, lit by that dynamic light um, in a more basic way. But I think what I what it ends up with is, was, is a real looking face that in a way feels dynamic and not, it feels more than just um, a video playing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't, I would never guess that those eyes aren't real unless i knew you know yeah yeah and, and it, it's it is quite subtle but yeah you can see that they they follow the cursor <laughs> you know what's beautiful about it though it is quite subtle but it's so it's so natural that people don't even notice until you point it out to them and they're like mm -hmm. oh wow this is so natural though that my brain just accepted it as real yeah, you know? yeah. And, like, and that is i owe a lot of that to the heavy heavy um layer of post-processing and resolution crunching um 
that I did to the screen um, to kind of unify and homogenize all the elements. Um, because if you look at it without like any color changes or at high resolution, it's it's <laughs> nightmarish in a different way, not natural, <laughs> uh, very disturbing. Well, this actually kind of harkens back to, uh, I don't know, have you ever, are you familiar with a YouTuber named H Bomber Guy? I know the name. I can't say I've seen a lot of... Um, Jesse, have you ever seen this guy's stuff? Yeah, he's great. Yeah, did you yeah. see the one he did about um, VHS scanline stuff? I have not, no. Not well, he, he did a video where uh, he talked about how certain movies from that era benefit from the VHS kind of crunchiness to it, like movies yeah. like Alien or Blade Runner, like that kind of like visual grime um like makes it so that it's hard to focus and it makes it more more even though it's like literally looks less realistic it's more immersive though and i, I think, think there's right. and it also obscures imperfections which is why it is appealing i think to indie developers i mean that's why there's so many uh crt tv purists right because when you play a pixelated game on a crt it all kind of blends together and your brain fills in the blanks yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's basically uh, that is that is an accurate description. Um, is like we often think about nostalgia. Okay, I'm getting really bad reverb again, Jesse. What were we talking about before the reverb kicked in again? Uh, like how? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I remember. Yeah, and the thing is about uh, like those old like when you're thinking about your like nostalgia for the games of your youth. Um, when you're like, oh, I remember Chrono Trigger looking so much better. A lot of the reason for that is because the TVs you were playing on back then were also lower resolution. Like, it's not just that your brain remembers that it's prettier than it is. It actually did look nicer on those old TVs. Yeah, absolutely. What, 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 uh, what platform do you recommend people play Pony Island on for the best resolution? <laughs> um, I mean... It, Pony Island is weird because there's a, a mix of high and low resolutions in it, so you're probably good on a 1080p monitor, honestly. I mean, I think if you do crunch anything down, it, it can tend to obscure, maybe not look better, but it will obscure those imperfections. Yeah, pl preferred platform, the Nokia N-Gage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, I found out that there's a Bioshock on the phone. Did you know this? I saw some tweet about that, and it was like an unfinished project, right? No, no, it was it was like oh, released okay. on the phone. It was the first four levels of the game, basically one for one redone. The oh, story wow. is like, yeah, exactly the same, except you can only it only summons one enemy at a time because your little phone would explode right. <laughs> if it tried to render to it. Did you actually know that's why they that's why the original uh, Metal Gear is the way it is? I did not know. So uh, Metal Gear, this is pre-Metal Gear Solid, you know, like back when it was like an NES game. Um, or SNES? I can't remember. One of those older systems. The reason that you could that it was a stealth game is because they could only render like one projectile at once. So oh, they were yeah. like, well, what if they could only shoot one at once? Yeah. Because it's a sneaky game. I was that's like, that's, cool. Yeah, that's actually really cool. So much of the design of those older games was influenced by technical restrictions, which is just not a thing anymore. I mean, I guess there are still some technical restrictions, but... Well, it's like Space Invaders. The reason that it sped up is because there's less dudes on screen, so the processing power went up, and they just, like, didn't have a way to deal with that. So they're like, oh, I guess it just goes faster, and that's well, harder. Yeah. 
And that's so cool, though. Like, that's so innovative. Like, they're not innovative, but that's such, like, a happy little coincidence, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just happens to make your game better. Yeah, I am. Um, or, like, how Pac-Man was originally supposed to be Puck-Man, but because of arcade cabinets, people would vandalize it to say Fuck-Man. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what a good... Good good times the, the 90s were. I don't really remember it, though, because I was, like, pre... I was, like, technically I'm a 90s kid, but I was, like, eight. When it was like ninety eight, you know, I was born in eighty nine. Right. So okay, okay. I'm, I'm slowly becoming old man video games, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, because uh, I used to be, I used to be like young up and coming guy, but now I'm old guy. It's yeah. weird how that happens. Yeah, I guess it does happen quick. I mean, I don't. Eighty nine is not too old. Um, I was uh, ninety two, so from oh, you're younger than me. Era. <laughs> Now I have to come out with even more games just to race yeah. you. Yeah. Well, um, I think I'm on a schedule of one every two or three years, so that's <laughs> well, keep up. Yeah, I'm outpacing you at this point, at least. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, gosh, Dreadnex Collection 2 has been doing really well. Yeah, it's <sighs> great. Well, um, how does it compare to the first one uh, so far? Because like, you can look back on the data from whatever it is now, day... Uh, six or oh, are you asking, um, like, sales-wise how it's doing? Yeah, yeah, um, I guess so. I guess just that that's one quantifiable. You don't have to obviously say how many sales, but, like, compared to the first uh, one. We have sold as ma- We have now matched the sales of the original. Oh, wow. Yes, it's doing very, very well. Oh, and, that's great. Well, and I think that a lot of that is due to... Um, first off, the expanding fan base. I, I know a lot of people yeah, that bought yeah. the first, bought the second. Yeah. But I also think that, um, you know, I, I really think that a lot of it has to do with just the, the quality of the games that we got this time around. I mean, we really assembled a really stellar lineup. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of cool just to keep seeing things come in and keep having people be like, oh, shit, like, that looks really cool. I mean, I don't know if you had the same experience that I did, but when I started seeing the final products, it was like, wow, it's like every single one looks really dope. Yeah, I, I did feel that way, too. Um, and there's there's a great variety. Uh, it really scratches every different gaming itch you might have. Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, especially because, like, the market is so quick to chase new trends um that by having such like a variety package like you really do it's almost like deprogramming in a way um like so many battle royale games come out now so many mm-hmm. like basically if you want to make a game and you want it to be successful have you know 20 minute round battle royale game and everyone will buy it i mean just look at fall guys i think fall guys is a great mm-hmm. game though I'm, I'm not throwing shade but yeah yeah you know, to to have an experience that's not custom tailored to try to hit all your gamer sure. points in your brain. Like basically every new game from a AAA studio that comes out is like so smoothed down to to perfectly like wash over the the smooth brain gamers. And it's like <laughs> like Assassin's Creed is like we have to have X amount of collectibles so that people yeah. can like feel that their grind is worthwhile. And then we gotta have this very specific upgrade tree and you know here's what the plot points need to be. It's like all very smooth, you know? Yeah, formulaic a little bit. Yeah. That's why I actually kind of respected Black Ops 4 not having a campaign. 
like not because I think it's good to strip features down, but like they actually tried something different by telling the story through like you unlock story beats that you can then go and hunt down if you want. Um, but okay. other than that, it's that cool. well, yeah. And I, I think that, yeah, not to say that Call of Duty is the savior of gaming or anything like that. That's a stupid <laughs> point because they went back to the same old shit with, uh, you know, uh, the new modern warfare. That's ugh. that's a whole other conversation. But um, what, what I mean is that, like, you know, to to then have a package of games that's like here's a little bit of different stuff, so you can see what you like, but also experience something new is like. That's something that a lot of games aren't doing. No games want to give you something new right now. They all mm. want to give you a nice, pleasantly digestible little, you know, few hours of content so that to, to kind of just usher you along to the grave. That's, sure. that's what video yeah. games feel like now. It's just, uh, yeah, the, the bigger the cost, the less um, risk-taking people want to do, it seems. Yeah. It's really understandable. I mean, it is understandable, and, and don't get me wrong, I have nothing against, like, Call of Duty or... Well, I do have something against Assassin's Creed, but mostly because I don't feel <laughs> like they have a story anymore. Like, what the fuck is the plot of Assassin's Creed at this point? I haven't been following, but... <laughs> I mean, it's, the premise is kind of interesting, I guess, uh, going into these different memories throughout the generations. I like visiting these different historical locales, even though I haven't played an Assassin's Creed game in a long time. I was very tempted by the Greek-themed one. Yeah, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, that was... Well, that's the thing, though, is that... Okay, so I, I dated a girl briefly who was super into the Assassin's Creed storyline, which should have been the first big red flag. Um, <laughs> but she was, like, telling me about how there's gods in the story and that, like, gods have been imprisoned, like uh, Gaia that. or whatever, and that they then the Greek gods have then like been released. And that's like the ending of Assassin's Creed three is that like a God gets released, but then you use the cradle of life or something and it, it disintegrates you, but you send you retrap the God or, so, or something. I don't fucking know, but they seem to have completely abandoned that. And I, oh, okay. I don't even know what the game's about anymore other than selling copies of Assassin's Creed. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I don't think that there's a gimmick for the time travel anymore. Like the, 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 the going back into the memories of the past. I know that for Assassin's Creed 4, it was supposed to be that you're like a video game company trying to do market research, oh. which is kind of clever. What? <laughs> but, well, I, I really need to... This is kind of interesting, though. So so they're not doing the memory thing anymore. I, I, don't, I don't know. Awesome. And if okay. they are, who are you then? Like, what is... Yeah, yeah. The, the first Assassin's Creed was like, you're playing as Altair, but you're also Desmond in the modern day. And then it was Ezio, but you're still playing as Desmond... And it was supposed to be his ancestors. Right. So obviously when they go to a new continent, they're like, oh, are Desmond's ancestors also these other people? Like, maybe, I don't know. But like that character is now, I think he got disintegrated by the Cradle of Life or something or the Ark of the Covenant. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I do kind of appreciate that kind of uh, just like insane, hard to truly understand lore because I kind of take advantage of that myself. I just like keep throwing bizarre ideas into the mix and leave it to the players to make sense of it. And sometimes it never does. Yeah. <laughs> well, but the, 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 tra the trajectory of Assassin's Creed has been, we had a story that we were telling and then we told it and now they're just trying to find new yeah. things to tell within that finished story to the point where now the post finished story is more content by like by triple 
than the base game was. Yeah, so it's yeah, like, yeah. where is this series going? No one knows. No one cares. You just you just stab people, and it's dumb. Ultimately, yeah, yeah. Not that many people are going in for that deep lore. Yeah. Uh, but, uh... Um... I, I I do enjoy deep lore games, but I, I often feel that uh, I don't know how to put it, but I don't think that um, like AAA companies can be trusted to do the deep lore games anymore because I don't think that they I think that they're they always the 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 the, the, the package they always deliver is not interesting enough for me. Yeah. yeah. Deep lore requires you to be uh, creative and go outside the box, and that's a risk that AAA companies are not ever inclined to take because, um, you know, that could make the game not a one-size-fits-all thing and then could cost them, I don't know, 50 sales or something. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the thing is is that I actually... Oh, sorry, did you want to... Do you have anything else you want to say? No, I was just wondering if you're getting reverb. Reverb, I uh, switched it up a bit. No, I'm I'm good now. Oh nope, I'm getting reverb now. Got it. Cool. That'll work. Um, but what I'm saying is that Assassin's like you know the Assassin's Creed games. It's so ambitious when they first released that first one, and the story took place over two time periods, and then the second mm-hmm. one they expanded on that. That was like really cool, but. I don't know. This is just the the way that franchises work now. This is something I realized when I was actually when we were releasing Dreadx Two. Was I was like looking at all of the news that I had to push out about gaming, and I'm like, all of the fucking big titles coming out are sequels, reboots, or main franchise spinoffs. Like, obviously with the DC stuff, it's like here's a new Suicide game, Squad game by Rocksteady. Here's a new Batman game. Here's a new. It's like okay, so those are big announcements, but those are all the same franchise. And it's like, oh, tune in to Gamescom because we're going to talk about the new Call of Duty. And it's like, there's nothing new. Everything mm-hmm. is just the same rehashed shit. And I don't. It's getting really disheartening because that with the the problem with the the big titles rising to the top and then owning the industry is that nothing else ever gets made. I mean. Like, if you look at the top-selling games of 2020, I'd be willing to bet that they're all sequels, reboots, some kind of franchise spinoffs. Like, it's just it's just getting really, really, like, it's, it's a, getting to be a really shitty place to try to tell an original new story. For sure. I guess you could add to that list, and maybe um, people wouldn't find these as egregious as those other things, but just entries into, like, hyped-up, um, genres like like a battle royale game or a um, survival game yeah um, where, where it's a totally original ip and original ideas are on display but it's it's buying into the hype for a new genre yeah yeah i think that uh I, i'm more okay with like genre you know trends than i am with just like the rehashing of the same game over and over again. I just, I wonder in like 30 years, are we still going to be fucking playing Resident Evil games? You know? Are we yeah. still going to be wondering when Silent Hills is going to come out in 25 years? <laughs> and it's just so weird to me because there's so many fans. I, I actually had this thought in the shower the other day about 
So I watched Rambo 5. Have either of you seen Rambo 5? Rambo Last Blood, it came out last year. So Sylvester Stallone is 74, and he's in this movie. And he looks great for a 74-year-old man, by the way. Um, He looked great in Rambo 4 when he was, like, 62. Like, the man man props where they're due. The man is is in very good shape for being, uh, like, geriatric. Um... But I and then he was saying in like interviews he'd be like yeah I'd be interested in doing a Rambo film where he's on an Indian reservation I'm like when you're 80 like <laughs> yeah. holy shit are you not done playing this character and what I realized is there's so many franchise these franchises that are just like limply stumbling along and we fe- we're like such old men at this point looking at these old franchises and being like this is what was cool you know like the Predator DLC where it's releasing the 1987 look for Arnold Schwarzenegger I'm like. Oh my god, like there's probably a bunch of old dudes playing the new Predator hunting grounds that buy that skin and they're like, yeah, I get to play as my favorite cool guy. But those guys that watch that film in their 20s, you know, oh man, isn't this so cool, Predator? They're like in their 60s now. Yeah. It's so weird to think about. And and it's it's kind of like when my grandpa tried to sit me down and he's like, now this is a cool movie, and it's like a John Wayne film where he just like you know, like, is, like, mildly racist, like, over and over again, and then shoots yeah. a bunch of Mexicans, and they're like, wasn't that cool? I'm like, ah, what? Like, <laughs> or, or, like, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly is, like, pretty tame by modern standards. Can You put that next to John Wick, you know? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just weird, because, you know, um, I just watched the Perry Mason reboot, right, on, on HBO, and, uh, like, I didn't know that Perry Mason was like a thing. Like, I didn't realize that it was a previous show and before that a radio show. And my dad's telling me, he's like, yeah, I mean, that's from like the 1930s. And I'm like, Perry Mason as a franchise is now over 90 years old and Mm -hmm. we're still remaking it. Like, what in the fuck? (laughs) And it's weird to me because I don't think that these brands or franchises actually have any value or staying power on their own aside from the fact that the studios want to keep hyping up these franchises. Like, I know that people are still yeah. buying Assassin's Creed games, but, like, Terminator Dark Fate made, like, negative $7 billion. You know? Yeah. It, it actually bombed super hard. And it just goes to show that, like, man, this Terminator franchise that they say is so valuable isn't, like, actually that valuable because they, it won't translate into actual sales. Yeah, it's, it seems like you need to combine the name recognition with some real substance or some new innovation um, to be successful. I think like the name recognition on its own has value, and that's why we keep seeing them, but it's not enough. It can't be the only thing you're offering. Well, and, and on top of that, like the, the name recognition is something, but I, I think that what a lot of modern companies are doing that this is not something they were able to do before especially with like uh, uh video games is that like you release so frequently that the world doesn't have a chance to forget you exist like i don't think that assassin's creed if they didn't come out with a game in five years i don't think that a new assassin's creed after that break would actually do well but people are so mollified by the yearly releases where they go like all right, um, it's it's this month I can get my Call of Duty, and then next month I can get my my Assassin's Creed, and then there's there's going to be a new, uh, you know, NBA game or something coming out. Like all these yearly franchise releases, and it's just like the same thing over and over and over again. 
And so, oh, a new Far Cry every year too. You know, so you gotta have you gotta have the new one every year. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, and and you ju- you just fall into this cycle of buying the same thing over and over again. It's the same content over and over again. It's like you don't even have to. It's it's like. You know, there's a lot of people that still go back and play old NES games. There's still a lot of people that like, oh, you know, I, I go back and I play the original Dark Souls. But you don't have to anymore because if, you, if you're if you a Dark Souls... Well, I mean, Dark Souls FromSoft doesn't do this, but if they wanted to, they could just re-release Dark Souls every year and then people would still buy it and then they never have to play new games. They can just keep playing mm-hmm. the same thing they played when they were 12 forever. Yeah. The, the eternal living mausoleum of nostalgia that we were all trapped in is what I'll call it. <laughs> and so I'm going to put that yeah. in a book someday and sound real smart. But I think the, the the franchises that do the best over the long, long term do have to innovate. Like I'm thinking about maybe Super Mario. You compare um, like Galaxy or um, Odyssey to obviously the early entries in that franchise. They're just so wildly different. And the franchise is obviously still extremely successful and well respected. Um, maybe because they didn't stick to their roots very, they didn't hold on very tightly. I think that they do. I think that Mario does hold on to its roots very tightly. But I think that hmm. they do innovate. Like you know, the original Mario is about jumping into coins and stamping on heads. I Super guess Mario right. sixty four is about still there. Yeah, I mean, there's new Tanuki suits that, that come out, but the core fundamental gameplay is always. Let's make it enjoyable to just to, to stomp on Goombas, you know. Yep. Which is you know fine, and I, I, I'm not I'm not even saying that I think that this is like that the industry is dying or anything fucking hyperbolic like that. I'm just saying that you know, as the from the standpoint of a creator trying to come into the market with something new, it's it's difficult because it's always an uphill battle, and I think that that's any market is like that. You know, mm-hmm. there's always going to be uphill battles, but the conversation is always, "Oh my gosh, the 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 industry is hungry for something new," and I think that it is. But at the same time, it's 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 the 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 yearly release cycle has gotten it to the point where while people are hungry for something new, they're also placated with their McDonald's, and I think that that's what Assassin's Creed and Call of Duty's are. Is like they're right. McDonald's. You, you can eat it every year, and it's always fine. It's pleasant. Mm-hmm. Would you point to a certain era of of games, and it is obviously a relatively new medium, but was there an era you'd point to where the highest funded AAA games were highly original? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know what, I actually think that uh, periods of time where, where new games can kind of, new franchises can kind of rise is around the launch of a new console cycle. Because like, as much as we like to be PC gamers, first and foremost, um, a, a lot, a big majority of the gaming audience is still on consoles. Um, and I think that once you get to the end of a cycle, like a console cycle like this, it's too risky for a new IP to like come out on the PS4. You know, like if I was releasing a new game right now, I'd be like, well, I might have what six months of shelf time, and then that's it. So, mm-hmm. I think that um, we'll probably see some innovation with the new console cycle. Um, yeah, and I do think that there's some things that certain studios do to really push certain titles like uh the the xbox game studios i think have really pushed uh hellblade um which is an indie game mm. I guess it is technically an indie game even though they they have like triple a world's class animators yeah. and stuff double a or triple a or something like that yeah um so yeah that's kind of you know i think that there is a chance for 
to shake the industry up. I'm just, um, and I, I don't mean to sound, God, I sound like an old man sitting on my porch whining about the Call of Duties and the Battle Royales <laughs> of the world, which I'm not. I mean, I, I played PUBG for a while. I, I enjoy those kinds of games. It's just, um, from a storytelling perspective, I feel like a lot of uh, uh, the audience has gotten used to a very standard type of storytelling that is difficult to break away from that format because when you do, then the people on the internet get mad. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. People get people take their video games way too seriously, though. Yeah, definitely true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyways, um, where did the idea for uh, Solipsis come from? Hmm. Um, uh, let me think. Oh, yeah, right. So I was thinking about the theme, and um, I, I didn't want to be too tightly bound by it because I'm not that familiar with Lovecraft, but I picked up uh, the collection of, sort of like, his entire collection of stories, and I didn't get that far into it. I think I read the first four or five, um, only having been familiar with, like, the most famous ones before. And the actually, the very first one I read was the one I liked the most. It was... Um, and now I'm blanking on the name. It's like the Lost City or something, where this guy is in um, um, Arabia and he stumbles upon this lost, forgotten city that may be thousands of years old before even the oldest civilizations. And um, after exploring it, finds a staircase that goes deep into the earth, and weird stuff is down there. And I was just kind of pondering how I would adapt any of these stories to a game. And I was thinking of just kind of switching around the variables. And then I, I just came upon the idea of what if that staircase was found on the moon? It would be um, even more disturbing that such a thing would exist on a place where humans have never supposed to have been, or at least not for very very long at a time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the idea of, of finding a staircase on the moon that took you into it was the, the seed. And I think the story which you're talking about is In the Mouth of Madness, right? No, no, it's not. It's uh, the mountains it's, it's of madness. Short... No, let me let me find it. It's it's like uh, Lovecraft, the Lost. I think it's something Lost City. It's it's a more generic sounding name. Hmm. Uh, and there's like oh, the Nameless City. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. I think in the um, mountains of madness also has them descending into these warrens and finding. Yeah, there are some pretty off. common elements. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that idea, but the the interesting thing about your game that actually more people have picked up on than I thought they would was the rationalization mechanic about how you rationalize mm-hmm. and you see these things, and it's symbolic because never in the game does the guy look to the camera and say, I bet it was the Russians, but yeah. that's the implication by having you know the hammer and sickle go into his brain, and I was like, that's, that's really right. clever, and I, I'm surprised by how many people did pick up on that because I was expecting them to not pick up on that. Mm-hmm. Um how do you go about when you're trying to tell an interesting story like that, how do you go about balancing your symbolism and your interesting storytelling devices with actually conveying the message to the audience? I usually do lean more toward conveying the message to the audience. And I was also concerned that people wouldn't um, get the metaphor completely. Mm -hmm. Um, Those, those puzzle mechanics were some, they originated as an attempt to kind of stay on theme with the crafting I was originally thinking of um, crafting those pieces somehow by stitching them together or something. And one of my regrets for the game is that I didn't get to flesh out that system more and do crafting of pieces or crafting rationalizations. It's more just fitting them. Um, But um, 
Yeah, I, yeah, I would lean more toward just making sure the message is heard. Um, and then if it is a more ambitious idea or a more complicated metaphor, I think the key uh, is just play testing and seeing if people get it and finding ways to convey the message when it is more complicated. And I, I guess the, a good follow-up to that is when do you accept that some people are just not going to get it? Yeah, um, I think it happens out of uh, just apathy at some point, um, but also um, maybe you might accept that no one, not 100% of players will ever get or appreciate anything. So at some point, if, if it seems like 95% of people are getting it, then that's good enough. I, don't, I obviously wouldn't say an exact number, but at some point, you have to accept it. But how do you personally go about categorizing different elements and what percentages are okay and not okay? Because, like, basically, Solipsis, it starts off with a uh, white text on black background. Here's the plot, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was scared of a face on the moon as a kid, so it is ironic that I became an astronaut. Plot, 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 game start. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty hard to miss. Yeah. But the Russian thing is like, oh, is he rationalizing that it's Russians? That you can miss. So how do you weigh, like, why didn't you just start on the moon? You know, like, why did you create that opening cutscene then? So, um, I think I wanted to, um, one of the QA people um, for the Dread X collection said it really well. And they said it in a way that I was thinking along those lines, but hadn't phrased it that well. That that intro part sets up, and I forget the word that they used, and I, I had to Google it because um, I hadn't heard it before, or I might have heard it, but I didn't know what it meant. Um, the word for the human tendency to see faces in things that don't have faces. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a scientific word for it, and they said that that opening segment where you mention a face on the moon, uh, the moon induces um, the player to, to see faces everywhere. So that was... That was part of it. I wanted to set up this <clears throat> kind of fear, this set up the fear where eventually in the end you do see the face um, early and have it be kind of lingering and at the back of your mind. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So <clears throat> what, what would you say is, because there are certain parts of, your games that are like not only just easy to miss but kind of like expected to miss you mm. know like how do you go about balancing hiding something like when you want something to be hard to find do you do, well, do you tend to go for way too hard to find like are there any secrets in your games that people haven't found yet at all i wouldn't i would say no there's probably nothing that hasn't been found because uh the community around pony island and the hex has been very thorough so they've found everything. And I, I find that if you have a community of people looking for stuff, it's almost, it's it's hard to make it too hard to find. They will find nearly anything, as long as there's some thread of logic that could take you there. And it's not just a, a random one in a thousand uh, chance of someone finding it. Uh, they probably will find it. But I do think about different classes of secrets like there are secrets where i want to encourage a community uh collaborating to find them because that community existing i think is just very cool and exciting for those very dedicated players but then there are secrets where i want um a lone player to be able to find them 
And it doesn't mean that they're going to find all of them, of course, because they are supposed to be secrets. But my thinking is that if there are enough um, sort of low-hanging fruit secrets uh, throughout the game, the lone player who isn't necessarily looking that hard may find at least one. And if they find one, um, it kind of opens the door for them to explore mm-hmm. more. The game By finding one, the game promises them that there is something to find if they look. Mm-hmm. which may encourage them to look and may not. But I, I want to kind of open that door and say that your exploration and poking around will be rewarded. Yeah. The only problem is that sometimes what's logical to you is not logical to someone else. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And that's where playtesting thoroughly comes in. Are you familiar with the Marble Hornets? No. Marble Hornets is the uh, YouTube series based off of Slenderman that kind of it was Slenderman was already popular when it started, but it kind of more popularized it. It kind of made it get big. Um, and then of course, Slender the eight pages is what really blew it up with the, right, the right. content. But, um, in, they did a number of seasons of the marble Hornets. Um, and in the first season, they were adding all kinds of weird stuff, like, you know, numerical ciphers and codes and stuff. But they didn't realize is that like, because the, they were amateurs making it, they didn't really like know how to make it like a like a like a cipher that you could then decode. They were, like mm-hmm. didn't realize that they had accidentally made them like impossible. Oh yeah, and and but they ended up actually like dropping the plot threads that those were supposed to lead into. So they had these, and and that actually just created more mystery for later fans. Right. They were like, but what about this? Is this coming back? And they were like, no, nah, we dropped that. Yeah, <laughs> like originally, like it, it was supposed to make you bleed from your like wrists and eyes, and it was supposed to get like Slenderman was supposed to give you a stigmata, and then then they just dropped it. Because they're like, oh, okay. fuck that. That's dumb. <laughs> the, the... And no one's ever going to find it anyway. It yeah, like... exactly. Um, which is which is fun because it gives you another level to kind of dive into with the uh, your fandom. It's like, okay, what, what, what more is there to find? Um, the problem is, I, I think, is that you get people that eventually read way too much into it. You know, like the uh, yeah. what is the, the Silent Hill circumcision thing? Have you heard of this? <laughs> I don't know what that is. Oh, there was some moderator on the Silent Hill forums that was like, the game is actually all about losing your foreskin and how it's dramatic, and like ran with yeah, it. I love, I love that people do that. I I love reading those. I that might be the thing I get the biggest kick out of of reading player feedback is these off the wall interpretations. And then you think, oh, yeah, you, you have a point with a few of these things. I could see how you might get to that conclusion, but it's not <laughs> my intention in the slightest. But yeah, as a developer, I, I find that extremely amusing. Yeah, same. I, I There are people now in the uh, DreadX Collections uh, Steam page discussing the plot and trying to figure out the secrets and stuff, which I yeah. think is fun. Yeah, it's super gratifying. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's a nice... It's a nice I know it feels nice. Yeah. <laughs> it means someone's taking your work seriously and, and giving you full credit that there is something to find. So was Pony Island your first ever game? It was the first commercial game and the biggest game I had made up until that point. Um, but I had done lots of shorter uh, game jam style things or student projects. I had a couple of student projects so uh, what- that I had done. What was it like? What was it like when Pony Island first came out and started gaining traction? It was pretty amazing, but it actually the kind of um, the rush and the excitement came before it came out. Uh, it it was already getting 
some attention in the weeks leading up to the launch. And that was when, and at the launch itself, I, I, I kind of almost had full assurances that it was going to do well on day one because of that buildup that I had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 what, do you, what do you think about that game landed so well with audiences? Um, it, it's hard to say. I think part of it was uh, the premise was immediately interesting. Um, here's a game about ponies. Oh, wait, no, it's actually the devil. I think that simple premise was very memeable and you could convey it quickly, like you were saying earlier about the hex, how it was a little harder to get that premise across immediately. Mm-hmm. And then I think um, throughout the game, the, the various tricks that the game plays on the player at the time, I think were pretty fresh. And the big one, especially that, that if you read reviews or, or longer reviews or anyone talking about the game, nearly everyone mentions um, the trick near the end of the game. And I don't know if I should spoil it or not. I mean, um, how long did a Pony Island come out? Yeah, it's a while ago, so it's probably fair game. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> you can spoil they, your own game, that's legal. Yeah, yeah, it's probably fine. Um, the the trick where the game pretends that your friend is contacting you on Steam, everyone talks about that, and I think because it comes near the end, you come out of the end of Pony Island really hyped about it because you had this crazy trick played on you, and then the game has a pretty satisfying conclusion, I, I would say, and so it sticks the landing, and maybe that's why uh, people were eager to give a positive review or write about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um... I think that you have experienced something very unique for an indie solo dev, you know, to have that level of success right off the bat. So how do you, after having the success of something like Pony Island, how do you manage your expectations, but also in in some ways, I I don't want to, I don't want to set this to sound insulting, but how do you keep your ego in check? Because having met you, you're a very like normal, nice guy. Whereas other indie developers uh, have not taken that route, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, as far as setting my expectations, I I tried to admit to myself at the very beginning of the second game that it wasn't going to do as well as Pony Island. I just felt that would be an unrealistic goal. And setting that expectation was good because the Hex didn't do as well as Pony Island. And I'm not even sure if an inscription will. It, it Every game has the chance to, I suppose. But... Um, I'm not going to try to, at least in terms of sales or or review numbers, I'm not going to attempt to um, surpass Pony Island. And if it happens, that's great, but uh, it's not a, a stated goal. So that helps. Um, as far as keeping my ego in check, I don't know. Uh, I just I, I think a lot of my success is is due to luck, um, if not like like circumstantial luck of I've released in this year with this genre that that happened to be um, a good call but also just luck throughout my life like being fortunate enough to have parents that um, put me through uh, university um, having good parents in general uh, stuff like that so I think it's not that hard to um, be humble when you realize all the fortune that you've had in your life Mm mm-hmm 
Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but I think that a lot of people are not humble when they've had a lot of fortune in their life, yeah, too. Yeah, <laughs> but they might not be so conscious of it or, or think about it as much. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I think that... Um, I think that a lot of times the 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 way that it goes to people's heads in their with their success is partially due to it's it's weird to have fans you know yeah it is a weird it is i, I definitely agree with you yeah it's a weird feeling it's a weird one way relationship um and and i'm not that familiar with this i think people who who put their personalities out there more like maybe YouTubers might be more familiar with, with this kind of thing where um, people feel like they know you, but you don't know them at all. They're a total stranger to you. Um, I'm not saying I experienced that a lot, but that's one bizarre aspect of fandom. Yeah, it is. It is strange that someone puts a lot of thought into you when you have not put any thought into them and it's not like rude or anything. You just don't know who they are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They, they know a lot about you, but you don't know anything about them. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of my job to know a lot about the people I work with because, you know, I'm a <laughs> yeah. journalist, so I tend to know a lot about people. But, um, yeah, I think but it that... Is, it is different as a, as a game developer because, I mean, they don't know. Uh, a fan of my games may know nothing about me. They might not even know my, my name. They, they just know the game, so... So, yeah. you know, with, with Inscription coming out soon, um, clearly you could have just you know, ridden the success of Pony Island and made Pony Island two and three and four and whatever mm -hmm. forever. Um, so what motivates you though, to make games now, even because especially since you're like, okay, it's not going to be as successful as Pony Island. How do you get yourself to like actually do the hard work? Cause it's not easy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. Uh, um, I enjoy the work, like not every moment of it, but ultimately I enjoy having that aspect of my life. It gives me purpose and meaning. So overall, like I would keep doing it for just that reason alone. And of course, it, it even if the games don't do as well as Pony Island, they're still quite financially viable. So the the hex um, covered its costs and you know made a profit. Um, I'm I'm sure Inscription will at least do that. So I think there there are plenty of motivations. And then. And not surpassing Pony Island, again, I still get um, a kick out of getting online accolades and my dopamine centers work just like anyone else. So if I <laughs> get a ton of Twitter notifications on my trailer coming out, um, that's plenty of motivation for me. So yeah, yeah I, I think my motivations aren't all that different than from before I made Pony Island, just maybe with different expectations. So, you know, Daniel Mullins Games is is run and operated by Mr. Daniel Mullins of Daniel <laughs> Mullins Games. And but has there any, ever been any compulsion to like go past that? To like um, maybe uh, do a studio kind of like a big yeah, group, like more people. Uh, yeah, I've thought a lot about it. For one thing, I, I should mention that there is Daniel Mullins Games, but um, Jonas Senzel, my composer and sound designer, has been on all three of the major projects. So I should give him a shout out that it's not just me. He's been there from the beginning. Um, and then um, for the hex and for inscription, I'm working with contractors for 3D art. So I think I am moving a bit closer to that direction where now I've, I'm working with more people than I ever have 
which isn't many, but uh, Jonah doing the sound and two different 3D artists um, right now that I'm kind of art directing, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. So I, I like moving. I like the idea of moving closer to the studio thing, but I don't think I would want to go so far as to have a physical location with full time employees because I like the kind of nimble nature of the process right now. Where really, like, I, I'm telling the artist what I want. Um, they're not sitting there every day saying, "What should I work on?" And I have to manage things for them to work on all day. So you're actually one of the few people that actually enjoys being in the indie space rather than just says that they enjoy being in the indie space. Yeah, I, I definitely do. I like I like the freedom of it. I th- I, I'd be really scared of the responsibility uh, and the risk involved in doing a larger scale studio thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is it is kind of terrifying to you know have these larger projects under your belt um or like Mm -hmm. because like you know i was actually this is funny that you mentioned that because like when i um when the the george floyd protest started i was i was going out to deliver water to protest sites um yeah but i i didn't i I mean i marched in one march but i was pretty far away from the pack because i didn't want to get sick but mostly Mm -hmm. i didn't want to get sick or i didn't want to get shot not necessarily because I'm particularly afraid of getting sick or getting shot. I mean, I am, as, as yeah. most people are. But um, it was mostly that, like, I was like, look, I employ people now. Like, I can't be doing this, like, this crazy shit, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've, you're responsible for the well-being of others. Like, if I if I got shot or something, we wouldn't have been able to finish, you know, Dread X2. Uh, we wouldn't yeah. be able to pay for the website and stuff. Like, there's just a lot of stuff I'm responsible for. Yeah, and, and if you get sick and you're out for a week or two, that's also um, impactful. Yeah, it's exactly true, and it's like I, I, it was a weird feeling to be like, you know, my personal safety is important because other people rely on me. This must, but it must be what it's like to like have a child. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel that even just like my partner and my parents and family. Um, most people have someone who would be very bereaved if they disappeared. So I guess yeah. that, that responsibility is somewhat with, with almost all of us. No, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's true. I guess it just had never hit me before in the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it is a different, uh, an added responsibility. Yeah. 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 But, um, I, I honestly, it's, it's really like having that responsibility is nice, but also, like it's given me a chance to like kind of laser focus on what I want to do because like I think that when you're still figuring out what your your tone and your style is and I'm sure you experienced this uh, before you came out with Pony Island you're like okay who am I what kind of games do I make mm-hmm. and the responsibility is like okay well I have to pay for some stuff but there's also like I have to set down who I am so that basically so that I am known for something you know I, this yeah. is who I am. Yeah. And that's that's it's it's hard to land on that because I think a lot of people in a lot of companies especially uh they lose that. They lose that sense of who they are and they just mm-hmm. become a chasing of whatever is most popular, you know? Yeah, I do see that. That was a weird one. I think I was kind of told <laughs> who I was in a way in terms of like not not me as a person but my work because I I didn't have that in like what you were saying of, of who I'm going to be and how I'll be perceived, I that would be have been wise to think about before Pony Island, but that that didn't really cross my mind too much. I just kind of was started the game, it turned into something, and released it, 
and then afterward people would say oh it's like it's a meta game and it's this or that and then those labels stuck a little bit i guess yeah yeah and then you kind of evolve from there with the the new mm -hmm. titles yeah. um so with inscription when are we going to actually see inscription uh, as a full release i'm i'm thinking next spring uh, i don't want to commit to anything because uh, I, there was a lot of stress when i was making the hex for terrible just very very bad forecasts over the release date and no one was really like hounding me or saying oh why isn't it out but um, it's just, it feels bad to make a promise and then break it over and over. So I've, I've learned my lesson. I think many uh, indie developers learn that lesson um, mm -hmm. that with just don't give a firm date until you're within like a month away from it. But yeah, I'll say maybe spring and okay. uh, see what happens. Yeah, because I got to play the demo at um, DreamHack where I met you and I was like, mm -hmm. this is really cool. Yeah, I really appreciated that. Oh, thanks. I'm glad that my random dude opinion could uh, mean something to you. Well, random dude also came back and interviewed me. It was it was definitely cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Um, I was wearing one of my fancy red suits, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, we actually lost all the uh, the footage from from that. Um, oh man, what happened? A, a bad memory, bad memory card. Oh, that's too bad. I guess but, it was uh, still valuable. Did you recruit? I guess you recruited. Um, uh, Akabaka, and uh, you. I hope that's how he's. Yeah, that's true, and that worked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just that's that's kind of my secret to success is you just always are looking for new opportunities and don't be afraid to pursue them. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's uh, kind of my advice to anyone out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, Jesse, what do you got? <laughs> yeah, I got about five different uh, mutes going on on this uh, soundboard, so I don't know. Uh, I I got not. I don't have much. I dropped out because of the sound problems. All right, cool. All right. Well, hopefully we'll we'll fix. No, no, it's coming back. Coming back. All right. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Jesse, hopefully, we'll be able to fix his mic problems and have more questions in the future. But um, Daniel. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of your work, despite not technically being a fan and, and technically kind of employing you. I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know exactly how this relationship uh, works. I pay you to make games sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, as we, we talk about developers that we enjoy working with, you know, especially with the DreadX collection and stuff, it's more important for us to have people that we enjoy working with than just big names. We don't we don't want huge egos swinging dick around all the time. Yeah, and, sure. and as I'm sure you saw from working on the project with us, you know, we do our best to try to keep things fun and pleasant. Um, and it was really great working with you on this project. And I think that Solipsis is, you know, I, I say this about all the games, but for a game made in 10 days, it's, it's really fucking incredible what you managed to do. Yeah, well, thanks. Yeah, I... I... I do have a few um, misgivings. I, I do wish it was a bit longer, and I, I've seen the, uh, the the Steam reviews that mention that. And I wish I had fleshed out the puzzle system more, but yeah, I am happy with it. I mean, that's, that's the funny you. thing, though, is that the, the, the complaint about I wish it was longer is like, all right, well, let's see what you can make in 10 days, buddy, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. It, it's like... I wonder if um, for the third collection or, or ongoing... Uh, there should be a standard set because I, I knew mine 
would probably be shorter than others, but I also didn't know what the others were going to be. And I have also I also saw comments saying some games are too long. I wonder if if a standard like let's aim for twenty minutes for all the, or thirty minutes. I mean, that's the thing, though, right? And this is something that's a little bit more complicated. Um, is that like I really can't tell people how long their game will be because we mm-hmm. don't own the IPs for um, the games that we publish. Like, we, right. we let the developers own their own IPs. So if someone's like, I want my game to be two hours long, and I say, hey, you know, we're shooting for 40 minutes, and then they deliver to me a two-hour game, I can't tell them no, because sure. it's their game, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose that's true. I mean, I, but you could you could ask at the beginning, and, and everyone involved wants the overall product um, to be received well. So. I mean, if you look at the contract, it says that the expectations are between 20 to 40 minutes of gameplay. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I do. I do say exactly that. It's just you know that... what I should have read the contract more. <laughs> I guess uh, maybe you should have. But you, uh, you delivered twenty to forty minutes of gameplay, so you're good. Yeah, yeah. I think I just sneaked in there or squeaked in there. <laughs> That's good. That's why you made the staircase extra long, like another yeah. two minutes of staircase. Yeah, yeah. How long can I get them to walk down the staircase for? <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I, I think that yours is one of the ones that like is most visually interesting, and I think that. Um, but what I love about game jams like this is that, like, well, sorry, it's not a game jam. What I like about projects like this, short projects like this, is, like, you can create a thing, go, that was cool, and then decide whether you want to pick it up later or not. So, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see if there's a, a future for Solipsis. Hopefully, I, I mean, I always like to see more stuff that you come out with. Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what you do in the future, and hopefully we can work together on something again. Absolutely. Well, uh, Daniel, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up because we've been doing this for, uh, I think, given all our technical difficulties and stuff, we're probably wrapping up at about an hour and 15 minutes, which is what we want to try to keep this at. So, Daniel, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on and uh, for involving me in this very cool project. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, for everyone listening at home, if you haven't had a chance to yet, you can pick up the DreadX Collection 2 on Steam for just 9 bucks right now. It's 10 bucks normally, but I think it's still on sale for a few more days. So uh, you should still have time to pick it up at the discount price. Um, I've been getting great reception on it. Really excited to see all of the fans really just loving the game. Um, and, you know, we got more stuff in, in store for you in the future. We are not quite ready to announce it yet, but, you know, check in for our showcase in October, our October showcase, where we'll have basically everything to show you, and it's going to be super cool, and I'm really excited. I've seen some of the stuff that got submitted for that, and I'm really excited for it. And if you have something you want to submit, please, please, please email us or shoot us a DM on Twitter. Just get into contact with us in some way and uh we'll, we'll we want to get as many cool indie projects as we can exposed because i get them some exposure because we we it's really what i'm passionate about so um and then daniel you want to tell people how they can find out more about your games yeah um you can find uh pony island or the hex on steam um you could follow me on twitter at d mullins games or you could go to uh danielmullinsgames.com and then Inscription is coming out sometime in the future when you finish it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely check Inscription out. It looks fucking awesome. Check out the trailer. The whole game looked really dope. Um, I played it. It is really dope. And uh, definitely, definitely check out all of Daniel Mullins' games if you hadn't, because they are uh, Daniel Mullins' games games, the company's yeah. games, and Daniel Mullins' games as well. Uh, yeah. 
because I think that they're all fucking great. So, anyways, thank you guys so much for tuning in, and I will see you all soon when we interview the next one. Bye! Good morning. It's August 30, 2020, and it's a Sunday. Here in L.A., we've got that pretty thick early morning fog. Very still right now. Around 61 degrees Fahrenheit, 16 Celsius. Today, I'm thinking, or rather wondering, what the number of the day will be. And I know some of you have been wishing for a 7. Obviously, I can't promise anything, but today I'm going to concentrate on the 7. We'll see what happens. I apologize in advance if it isn't that number. should be going up to the high 70s this afternoon, around 26 degrees Celsius. And we should be having, along with some clouds, still some blue skies and golden sunshine. Everyone, have a great day.